Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this beautiful third Sunday of the month of August. It's a beautiful day for us to welcome new members, to welcome our students back from, uh, from UGA. And it's also a beautiful thing for us to be in the presence of such amazing music this morning. Would you agree? Uh, we are always grateful for the ways that our choir leads us this morning in worship and this morning is certainly no exception uh, Just a beautiful day and we're grateful that you are here with us uh, Because today we are in our third and final Sunday of what has been a three-week sermon series It's called three simple rules and if you've been here for any of those sermons, you know that the three simple rules come from uh, John Wesley who was the founder of Methodism and basically, when he was beginning the Methodist movement, there were people that would come up to him, often people who were very new to the faith, and they would ask him, John, how do we live out the Christian faith? What are some of the things that we should do in order to be more like Jesus? And so he came up with three simple rules. He said, I want you to do no harm, do good, and then stay in love with God. And it's that last one that we're gonna focus on this morning because it certainly could be argued that for John Wesley, that is the most important of the three general rules, because if you do the first two, but not the last one, well, then it really doesn't matter. So this morning, I want us to look at what, is, what did he mean by that, and how do we even begin to try to do that? How do we attempt to stay in love with God? To have that conversation, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that comes to us from the letter that was written to the Colossian church. We're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Hear now the Word of God. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, and for all of those that are at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they might be encouraged in hearts and united in love, so that they may have the fullness of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here together be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, thou who art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this past July, uh, my wife Sharon and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And uh, although I don't remember all of the details of the wedding planning process, um, I certainly do remember a lot of the conversations that we had with our pastor when we were going through our premarital counseling sessions. 
And the reason I remember any of those conversations is because I can remember walking away just feeling like, my goodness, these were so helpful, so insightful, so chock full of practical wisdom. And so I remember on our last day, it was kind of our final premarital counseling session, uh, we were kind of wrapping things up and, and, and going over details of the wedding. But our minister said to us, he said, now listen, throughout these last couple of weeks, we've gone over a lot of important things, some that you'll remember, some that you won't. But I hope that in the coming years, you will continue to learn what it means to be married, to learn what it means to stay in love with one another. And as somebody who's been married for almost 30 years now, I was hoping that I might be able to share with you what I think is the secret to staying in love. The secret is this. Always remember to do the little things. Now, what constitutes the little things in, for one couple may be totally different for another couple. Like, for my wife and I, he said, we like to do things like we go for walks and we hold hands and we try to go on a date night at least once a month. But for you and Sharon, it might be something totally different. But the point is to, to figure out what those little things are and always remember to do them because the little things make a big difference. It's the little things that will keep you in love for the long haul. In fact, he said, I, I know a couple here in our church. Uh, their names are, are Frank and Sheila. And um, Frank and Sheila have been married for 60-some-odd years and they have always said that the reason they've been married so long is because they've always done the little things. In fact, one time they were telling me about how one night they were lying in bed, they were getting ready to go to sleep. And just before they did, Sheila leaned over to Frank and she said to him, Frankie, I hope you know, I've always known you've loved me. I have never doubted for a second that you love me because you have always remembered to do the little things in our marriage, you know? You always remember to hold my hand right before we fall asleep. And you've always allowed me to snuggle you anytime I get cold at night. But there is one thing that you don't do anymore. <laughs> you, you don't nibble my ear like you used to. <laughs> and and I, I've always wondered why you stopped. Well, with that, he abruptly threw back the covers and Frank lurched out of bed, and he started making his way towards the door. And thinking that she had offended him, she said, Oh, oh, Frank, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to insult you. Where are you going? Frank then turned around, and he smiled at Sheila, and he said, Where do you think? I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> What's the secret to staying in love? Our pastor said, always remember to do the little things. And this morning, I am absolutely convinced that if there was ever a person that would agree with that statement, it would have been John Wesley. Of course, not as it relates <laughs> to the institution of marriage, because of course, if you know John Wesley and you know his history, you know that he was infamously terrible in his relationships with women. Uh, but he would agree with that statement as it pertains to how we live out the Christian faith. Because as we said earlier, the third and final of John Wesley's three simple rules is stay in love with God. And the way that we do that, according to Wesley, is by remembering to do the little things. 
Now, of course, that's not the way that John actually said it. No, in his wonderfully British 18th century vernacular, uh, John Wesley actually said, I want you to attendeth upon the ordinances of God, which was his way of saying that there are certain things that as Christians we should feel compelled to do. Things like um, having a consistent prayer life and reading your Bible, going to worship on a regular basis, being a part of a Christian community that will help you grow and deepen your faith. He even said things like taking communion on a regular basis and practicing the spiritual discipline of fasting. For John Wesley, this is what he called the ordinances of God. They were the little things that will keep us in love with God. Now, I think that one of the reasons why John Wesley was so insistent on this is because he knew that when it comes to the first two rules and the three simple rules, when it comes to do no harm and do good, those are both things that happen out here. They happen in the things that we do and in the things that we say, in the ways that we behave. We control them with the way we act in the world. But to stay in love with God is something totally different because that doesn't happen out here. No, that's only something that happens in here. It's an internal thing. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's something whose primary focus is our heart and our soul. And for John Wesley, the question was, so how are you cultivating those things so that you are staying in love with God? In fact, in the early days of the Methodist movement, when John was putting together these classes in bands of Christians, or what you and I would call, you know, small groups or Bible studies, when he was putting them together, he insisted that at every meeting, every group would start with a list of questions that they were required to ask one another. The very first question on the list was, so what sins have you committed since we last met? A wonderfully interesting question, to be sure. Now, am I saying that I think that we should institute that question in all of our Sunday school classes and our Bible studies here at Athens First? Absolutely not. But what I am saying to you this morning is, it sure would make them a whole lot more interesting. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine the conversations we would have? I think attendance would just go through the roof, you know? People would be so excited to, to hear one another as it got to be their turn, and they're like, all right, they're ready to spill the tea. Let's hear it. But for John Wesley, the reason why he was insistent on that question as being number one is because he believed that confession was good for the soul. He thought that we would uh, not sin today if we knew that tomorrow we had to confess that in front of our friends and our fellow church members. And so Wesley said, that's the first question you should ask at every single meeting. What sins have you committed since we last met? But the second question is even more interesting. How is it with your soul? Which is a question that wants to know, not how are things out here, <laughs> but how are things in here? Because out here, we have a remarkable ability to make it look like we've got it all together. 
We have a remarkable ability to put on a, a veneer or to wear a mask and to make everyone around us think that life is just peachy keen. I have known so many Christians over the years who should have won Oscars because of their ability to put on a smile, walk into church, and act like they were the picture of Christian holiness when the reality is their spiritual life was in shambles. It's really, really easy to make it look like we've got it all together out here, but in here is sometimes a different story. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know, we know that there are times in our life where we go, things aren't so good in here. Something's off. Something's wrong. I feel like I, I'm disconnected from God. I know the great hymn writer, John Newton, who famously wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Anytime that he was feeling out of sync with God, anytime he felt like his faith was not in a place that it needed to be, he would say, I feel as though my harp is out of tune. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like your harp is out of tune with God? I know I have, and part of the reason why is because that is a part of the nature of the Christian faith. When we become Christians, it's not like we sign on for this once and for all kind of mountaintop experience where we are living every day at peak faithfulness. No, if there's anything I've learned as a Christian is that this faith is a journey. That's filled with plenty of ups and downs and twists and turns and, and, and peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows. There will be good days as Christians, but there will also be bad days. That's why I've always appreciated the, the final verse of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings. Because in, in, in one of the final lines of that song, it says... Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. To me, that must be one of the most honest lyrics that has ever been written in all of Christian hymnody. Because not only is it true, but it is also incredibly relatable. Because we know what that feels like. We know what it's like to be in the wilderness of faith. We know that there are times in our lives when we feel like we are prone to wandering from the faith. We leave the flock. We stray. We even are willing at times to leave the God we love. Of course, to say that doesn't mean that somehow we've instantly become, you know, like staunch atheists or we've renounced the Christian faith in some way. No, it's simply to own the fact that there are times in our lives where we drift. Or as John Wesley would have called it, he said, there are times in our lives when we backslide. It's where we look up one day and we realize that we are not on the path that we want to be on and that to get back there to there, it's going to take a lot of work. 
to the point where if somebody asks us the question, how is it with your soul, we would have to be honest and say, it's not really good. Things feel a little off right now between myself and God. You might even say, my harp is out of tune. But you see, that is precisely why John Wesley was so insistent on us doing the little things. Because for John Wesley, these, these, these little things are what will help us stay in love with God. Because for John Wesley, the little things like worship and prayer and reading scripture and being in community with one another who will hold each other accountable, for John Wesley, these weren't things that simply let us show the world how seriously we take our faith. They they weren't things that that make us feel like, oh, look at us, we're ultra-disciplined, aren't we good Christians? No, for John Wesley, these little things were not just the ordinances of God, he also called them the means of grace which means that these are the ways in which God speaks to us and acts in our lives, is present with us, and reminds us of of his love. The means of grace are the primary means by which God imparts his grace to us. Of course, that's not to say that there aren't a lot of things outside of that list that God uses. But these are the things that God has ordained. Worship, Scripture, Holy Communion, being in community with one another, reading God's Holy Word, those are how God speaks to us. That is how we receive God's grace. Indeed, it is through the means of grace that we experience the power and the presence of God. Sometimes, when we're least expecting it. For instance, I have a friend who serves a church up in Gainesville, Georgia. His name is Jamie. And earlier this week, Jamie was invited to be a part of a midweek worship service at one of the assisted living facilities in Gainesville. Uh, He said, I always appreciate the invitations to help lead worship. Uh, But the one thing that you need to understand about uh, these worship services is that about 90% of the attendees are from the memory care unit, which means that most of them are are dealing with some kind of memory loss, some kind of dementia or Alzheimer's. And so it is that every week when I show up to help lead worship, most of them don't remember who I am, but nevertheless, they're excited to hear me preach, which just thrills me to death because as a preacher, that is very rare. So this past Wednesday, he said, I I went to the facility, I got to lead worship, and it was such a blessing for me. There were probably about 25 folks there, including some volunteers from the church. And after we got done with music and I offered my message, he said, I decided that I wanted to close worship by having communion with these folks. So we passed out some bread and everybody got their own individual cup of, of grape juice. He said, I went up front and I said, this is the body and blood of Christ given for you. And that's when everyone took the bread and and they drank the cup and it was a holy moment. But the holiest part of that moment was when he looked down, he said there was this woman who was sitting on the front row and, and after she had eaten her bread, he said, I watched as she took her cup and she pressed it to her lips 
And then she threw it back as if she were taking a shot. <laughs> and then in a, with a sound that was loud enough for everyone in the room, she kind of smacked her lips and she said, ah. <laughs> and she looked at the glass and she said, mm, mm, mm. that is good. My friend Jamie said, on one level, she may have simply been making commentary on the quality of the juice that I had brought with me that day. But on a much deeper level, like on a grace-filled soul level, he said, I believe that she experienced the mystery of the power of the presence of God. That in that moment, she didn't just take bread and juice, but they became for her the body and the blood of Christ, the real presence of Jesus. And in so doing, she experienced something that will always be beyond our ability to understand it. She experienced one of the means of grace. And in that moment, she was reminded, in the same way that all of us are reminded that no matter how far we drift from God, God will never drift from us. As the Franciscan priest Richard Rohr once said, we can never attain to the presence of God. Meaning, there will never be a day when we wake up and we say, you know what, today I'm really hoping that I can find my way into the presence of God. We're always in the presence of God, he said. What is missing is our awareness of that fact. John Wesley believed that it is through the means of grace, through Scripture, through worship, through prayer, Holy Communion, being in community with one another, that's how we regain our awareness of God's presence in our life. It's how we experience God. We hear from God. And he imparts his grace to us. Most of all, it is through the means of grace that our faith is fortified. And I am convinced that that is exactly what the writer to the Colossian church was saying in chapter 2. Because he knew that this was a young church filled with young Christians who had a really young and undeveloped faith. And so what does he say to them? He says, in the same way that you've received Christ Jesus, I want you to keep living your lives in him. How? Three things, he says. By being rooted in your faith, by being built up in your faith, and by being strengthened in your faith. Okay, great, we got it. Three things. How do we do those things? That's when John Wesley steps in and says, I'm so glad you asked. Because you know how we do those three things? Stay rooted in our faith, build up our faith, be strengthened in our faith. It's by remembering to do the little things. By attending upon the ordinances of God, it's by experiencing the means of grace that is how we stay in love with God. So my only question to you this morning is this. How is it with your soul? How is it with you? Not, not out here. 
but in here. For some of you this morning, you're thinking, honestly, Pastor Jeremy, couldn't be better. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 12. If that's you, I simply say keep up the good work. But maybe this morning, you're in a different place. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, honestly, things aren't great right now between myself and God. I, I, I do feel distance or disconnect. You might even say, my harp is out of tune. If that's you this morning, my encouragement would simply be this, to lean into the means of grace. Please do not take my word for it. Please do not sit here and think, well, Pastor Jeremy said they're going to work, so I guess they will. No, no, no. Try them out for yourselves. Use them. Practice them. See if you experience what John Wesley experienced and so many millions of other people. Lean into them and see if they really do fill your cup to overflowing. And when they do, my hope and my prayer is that you would drink deeply from that cup of grace and that you might even at the end say, mm-mm-mm, that is so good. Do you want to know the secret to staying in love with God? It's by remembering to do the little things because it's the little things that will make all of the difference. Amen.